Luke's Gospel in the chapter 11, please. Luke's Gospel in the chapter 11. As we are turning to the Word of the Lord, it is good to see there's some who haven't been able to be out with us in recent times, even back amongst us, and even some who in recent days have been sick back amongst us. But it's also good to welcome Don Campbell's parents all the way from America today, and we bid them welcome and trust that they know even the blessing of the fellowship amongst God's people here. We're coming this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. We're going to enter into the chapter at the first verse. And the Word of God says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Ending our reading there at the verse 4. We begin a new series this morning as we come to the Word of the Lord, that's simply entitled, Teach Us to Pray. But don't let the title fool you, for I'm in no way promising to teach you anything as the weeks progress. Rather, I openly admit that there are those amongst us, even gathered here, who could teach me a thing or two about the theme of prayer, about the subject of prayer. So I don't roll up here today and promise something that I can't deliver. Rather, I come today with a proposal that you be patient as week by week I rehearse truth that you will no doubt already have been made aware of and exposed to. And I'll make my rehearsal of that same truth as interesting and as practical as I can. But I pray that the Lord will allow us all to, in our hearts, be warmed around the theme of prayer once more. In our spirits to be revived and in our prayer lives to be benefited from a renewed focus on all that God has for us. May we enter into the great blessings, the great benefits of prayer once more. In our study, we will not concern ourselves with the mechanics of prayer, but rather we will deliberate much upon our motivation to pray, as well as what the content of our prayer should look like. You see, as we enter in here to our Luke's Gospel in chapter 11, it tells us that at the very outset of the chapter that there is one who was praying. For the Word of God records, it came to pass that as He, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, was praying in a certain place. And so before us we see a pattern already laid down in God's Word where the God-man Himself set aside that time in a daily schedule and a daily routine faced with daily necessities to be on his knees before the Heavenly Father. The disciples didn't interrupt him as he prayed. To me, that communicates that they already recognized the value and the importance of this 
prayer time. Indeed, the regularity of this prayer time in the life of our Lord and the fact that this was something that he did habitually. This was something that he guarded time after time. And so as they watched, as they viewed, as once more he was on his knees before his Father, the Bible tells us that when he had ceased, that is, when he had finished, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. They recognized that there was something important, something of value to be gained even from a time devoted not only to subscribing glory, honor, and worship to a heavenly Father, but also in petitioning the high throne of heaven for all that was required and needed for the days ahead, for the hour that faced them. And so the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So you come to this study, where's the destination? The destination, I believe, is given to us in Psalm in the ninth, number 91. Psalm in the number 91 tells us as we come to this psalm in the very first verse, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The destination is a secret place. And coming as we do to this psalm, notice the place that's marked there as being the secret place. This is a place where God Himself is known. It's a place referred to, I believe, in New Testament Scripture as the closet. It's a place where God, who sees in secret, rewards those who enter in openly. And as we come to pray and as we come to enjoy the full benefits and the blessings of prayer, can I tell you with authority from the Word of God that we will not even scratch the surface of prayer and of all that it can afford to us as a believer except we know what it is to enter into the secret place. I don't believe that the term secret there is used because in some way it's a mystery or in some way that it's hidden from you and I, the believer. No, I believe the term secret there is used to describe something that so few Christians actually enter into. Many there has been who have known what it is to travel through life and yes, to rush through their prayers and yes, to have that time whenever they're before the Lord, but to truly enter into the secret place has not been the experience of every believer. Many pastors, many elders, many faithful church members and adherents Never know what it is to dwell in the secret place. To know consciously what it is to remain in the presence of God Himself. To experience the reality of who He is. Of how He communes with us as friend with friend. You'll see there at the top of Psalm 91, there's no title given to it. There's no author ascribed to it. Jewish tradition would dictate to us that because Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, then the Psalms which follow until there's a break 
in such a pattern would indicate that the author of the last prescribed psalm, that being psalm number 90, then continues through until that break. I can't prove that for definite, but I do subscribe to that line of thinking that Moses is the author of this psalm. And that being said, then, this makes this one of the oldest psalms that we have, even in the canon of Scripture in the book that is called The Record of the Psalms. And so as Moses, in my mind, is penning this psalm, he says, He that dwelleth in the secret place, and I ask myself this question, where was the secret place for Moses? Was it that time whenever he and the other children of Israel knew shelter from the divine wrath of God whenever he passed through in judgment and they knew shelter and protection because they were under the blood? Because the lamb had been sacrificed and the blood had been applied to the doorposts of that house and all who dwelt within that house knew shelter and repose even as the angel of death passed through. Was this the secret place that he was referring to? Was it the secret place that he himself experienced as God appeared unto him there in Mount Sinai? And as he passed by, the Bible tells us that he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. Was it that secret place? Was it the secret place that they as a nation knew during their wilderness wanderings as trials, troubles, and tribulations entered in as pestilences were known, as enemies came and went? Was it that divine protection that he's alluding to as he says, he that dwelleth in the secret place? Was it that secret place of repose and shelter in the time of storm? Whatever the case may be, Moses is highlighting to us, I believe, a place where God is known. Notice not only the place, but notice the person. It tells us he. Doesn't ascribe any position to this individual doesn't prescribe any authority to this individual. Rather, it's a reminder that any of us can know what it is to enter in. And especially as we come to this in a New Testament age, as Moses looked and beheld, as there was that tabernacle erected time after time for the worship of the Lord and for that time whenever the high priest alone would enter in. Oh yes, every Israelite knew what it was to be in the courtyard. But only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. Perhaps it's this that he's alluding to when he says the secret place because this was a place that was unknown to him. But this was a place where God himself said that his glory dwelt, that his presence was known, that that place of worship, the highest worship could be made. But you and I come to it in a day and a time whenever the Lord himself has made a way For there, as he gave his life upon Calvary's cross, he opened a way, that way of access into the presence of God himself, that you and I can enter into the secret place, that you and I can come into the Holy of Holies, that you and I can approach unto the very presence of the triune God, whether we be five or whether we be 55, whether we've been saved a day or whether we've been saved for years and years, God has afforded to us the opportunity to come unto him 
to enter into his very presence. Let me ask you this morning, as you sit here in the house of God, have you been before the presence of God today? Have you known what it is to enter in, to avail of that access that is ours because of the finished work of Calvary, because of that day and that time whenever God reached over the balcony of heaven and took that veil and rent it from top to bottom and opened a way that you and I can come time after time after time. Have you been that he? Have you been that she today? Not only see a place, but, and we not only see a person, but we see a performance. The Bible says dwelleth. This is where I believe that so many of us in this current generation fail to enter in. Because, oh yes, we know what it is to come to the Lord in prayer, but we rush in, we rush out. But the Bible uses a specific term here, it says dwelleth. And that term is a term that we know even is used in the Word of God, even for the word abideth, as we go on to see there, shall abide. The two terms are synonymous one with another because they communicate to us a time involved. God isn't expecting us to come with our busy lifestyles and to simply set aside that five minutes that we have in the morning, that five minutes that we have in the evening because duty calls, because performance calls. No, God is expecting us to come into His presence. He desires us to come into His presence. He implores us to come into His presence and dwell to take our seat before him, to spend time in his presence, to remove ourselves and relieve ourselves from time and from schedule and to know what it is to be in his presence and to receive from him all the blessing that is required and all the blessing that is promised. And that's why I tell you that so few Christians know what it is to dwell in the secret place. Because dwelling in the secret place is not a rushed activity. Dwelling in the secret place is not simply a scheduled time whereby we say, at this time I sit down and I pray, at this time I arise. No, it's setting aside everything else, counting everything else but loss. You might say, well, how is that achievable in the world in which we live? The alarm is set. Time is ticking. There are children to get up. There is work to be at. But yet the word of the Lord says, He that dwelleth. He that dwelleth. It's down to the individual. It's down to the willingness that you and I have to spend that time in the presence of the Lord and to wait, rest.
You see the product. It says, shall abide. You know what it is to be in a secret place if you are the person who truly intentionally sets aside that time to be in the secret place? If you take that time and use it even before the Lord in prayer, then the product is shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place communicates to us that place of shelter, that place of repose. Place whenever we're near to God. But perhaps there's a connection here between what the product is and how we perform. Because you see, anywhere that there's a shadow, there's always a light. And as we come into the presence of the Lord, then it's the light of His countenance that shines in the darkness. We're reminded of who He is. We're reminded of the words and the commands that He has given. We're reminded of the holiness that He demands. And so in the light of His countenance, you and I are exposed for who we are. Perhaps that's why we don't perform. Perhaps that's why we don't dwell. We don't like to be exposed in the light of God's Word. We don't like the light of His countenance to shine upon us in the way which reveals us warts and all. Where there's a shadow, there's always a light. You know, whenever we consider this, whenever I consider this, it's easier to be in the public place, isn't it? It's easier to stand in a company of people, and be who they expect you to be. It's easier to say the right thing. It's easy to say what everybody else wants you to say. It's easier to live in the light of the approval of man. But to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. To truly be exposed for who I am in the light of his countenance. To truly stand before him with nothing between. And so I make my way through life, and you make your way through life, and we struggle and we toil. And we come into the presence of the Lord and we want to supply. But we're never willing to wait. 
were never willing to shelter. And our lives are up and down. And we don't live those lives that are quietly confident and full of faith in a God who never fails, in a God who never changes. Why? Because you and I fail so often to address the heart problem that is within so that we can abide in His presence. Psalmist goes on to say, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Oh, we all love to delight in the provision of the Lord whenever it comes to times of trouble, whenever it comes to times of trial. But there, we can only say those things whenever we are able to say that He is our God. He goes on to say, My God and Him will I trust. We can only identify God as being our God whenever that right relationship between us and Him is in existence. Whenever our hearts are clear, whenever there is nothing unconfessed in our lives, whenever day by day we are living up even to the, the, the scrutiny of His Word and whenever the light is shined that there is no inconsistency in what we say and what we do, whenever our motives are clear, whenever our intentions are clear, whenever our desire to do this is only ever motivated by the glory of God, That's whenever we know what it is not only to dwell, not only to pass through, but to abide in the presence, to know the secret place, to know what it is to be in a place of shelter, a place of calm repose, a place where God blesses us. Too often today we typify those who are found in the book of Revelation whenever the bride says, I stand at the door and knock. There he is on the outside. He's not on the inside. Why? Because we don't know what it is to dwell in his presence. We don't know what it is to be truly holy in his sight. We don't know what it is to truly live lives that are consecrated, set apart from him. And so, so often in our lives, he's on the outside and he's looking in. And he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him. Notice that. He's the guest. A guest in our lives. But how often is that true? We have time for everything apart from true devotion to God. True times of devotion with God. And so he stands at the outside of so many of our hearts in this generation and he knocks the door and the door has to be open and he comes in and he's the guest. The saves of our praise. The receives of our worship. But to truly dwell in this secret place will allow us then to enter into the fullness of the remainder of that verse because he goes on to say, not only will I sup with him, but he with me. We become the guest. We become those who are the recipients of all that he provides us with. And so, dear brother and sister, as we come to this matter of prayer, may we not treat it as something which we simply avail of whenever the times are tough. May we we not avail of it whenever there is a great need. May we not avail of it when there's great threat or great danger. Because my God shall supply all thy need. 
But may we come in and dwell. And receive from him all that he desires to give. Prayer isn't simply the avenue by which we get what we need. Prayer is that which changes our lives and conforms us more and more unto the image of his dear son. You may be in a dark night. You may be in a tough time. But if you go down through the rest of that psalm, and it's not my intention to do so today, we will come back to it, but you will see that he'll be with you in the nighttime. He'll be with you in the daytime. He'll be with you when the times are tough and when, when the times are good. Because you're dwelling in his presence. You're knowing what it is to abide. And so we come to this matter of prayer, and as we come, we are going to look, as we enter into this matter of prayer, the Alpha and Omega of prayer. The first prayer and the last prayer recorded in Scripture. That's how we're going to begin. And through this, remember, week by week, I pray that God draws us all into the secret place. We're going to reverse the, the form a little bit and come to the Omega of prayer, the last prayer recorded in Scripture. Come to Revelation in the chapter 22. Five words at the end of verse 20. Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's the last recorded prayer that's given to us in the Word of God. That's the last recorded petition that comes from the human heart that the divine record of Scripture has saw fit to leave with us. Even so come, Lord Jesus. John here testifies in this chapter of the unchanging desire that God has for men and women to come to him. But above everything else, he testifies, whilst that is an application of all that's contained, especially at the end of this chapter, an exhortation for those who are outside of Christ to come to a knowledge of Christ, the primary emphasis and the primary interpretation of all that we have is a desire for consummation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Him that heareth, come. Let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city. And from the things which are written in this book, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. 
response of the church is, even so come, Lord Jesus. We're reminded once more of the promise that Christ has given to us. And this is a promise that is not special nor unique to any form of doctrine nor indeed eschatology. This is a desire of every believer. And this is a promise of every believer, for despite what you may understand from the book of Revelation, it has nothing to do about when He comes. It's all about the fact that He will come. And that's a promise and the assurance that is given to us time and time again, that this same Jesus, who so went, shall so come again. He's going to fulfill His word that where He is, there we may be also. And the desire of Christ is to return. The Spirit and the pride say, come. The desire of the believer, you and I, should be that He does come. And so this express prayer, this very last prayer that's given to us here in the Word of God, is a desire for consummation. So the book ended by two statements. Two words, surely and quickly. It is his promise that he will come. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't forgotten his promise. He also hasn't forgotten about the condition of this world. And so despite the fact that we look out and we behold a world that waxes worse and worse and tribes are troubled on every hand and we fear for our children, we fear for our young people and we sigh within ourselves and we say, when will the right be, when will the wrong be made right? When will the balances be redressed? We're reminded here that God has promised that Christ will come again. His commitment to the bride, the church, is that he will come. But his commitment to the enemies of the gospel is, surely I come. And yes, we live in a world which waxes worse and worse each and every day, but the promise of God is, surely I come. So don't lose heart in a wicked generation. Rather, as you know what it is to abide in His presence, to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the secret place, hold on to the promise that He's coming again. He also says, I come quickly. We look at this in 2022, and 2,000-odd years have passed since this promise was made, and still He hasn't come. So how does that statement, I come quickly, hold up to scrutiny? We look back at 2,000 years and we say, a decision to change the carpet in a Baptist church would be made quicker than the promise, the fulfillment of this promise. But you and I are looking at this from the viewpoint of earth. We think a year is a long time. We think... A day is a long time. There's children who are thinking half hour is a long time right now. Remember, a thousand years is but a day in his sight, and a day is a thousand years. And so as God beholds all that has happened since 
Christ ascended to be with him, as God is the only one who knows the timetable of the return. Don't be disheartened that it hasn't happened yet. Because according to God's timetable, it's right on time. And there will come a time whenever the Father turns to the Son and says, it's time. And that time in His sight is a quick passage of time. Remember on Thursday night, we were reminded that God is outside of time. Why? Because He holds our times in His hands. So the timetable of Christ's return is right on schedule. And our emphasis and prayer should always be, even so come. You look at the model prayer as it's referred to as we open there in Luke's gospel, and what did we see? He said, thy will be done. It will. Thy kingdom come. This desire of consummation is something that Christ has taught us, even as he delivered unto the disciples that, that model of prayer that he desires even each of us to implement in our lives. Thy kingdom come. So we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. Undoubtedly, this is an outward expression of hope. It's our manifestation of our belief in what he has said will come to pass. But I believe it also produces an inward demonstration of hope. For John, I believe, is in no doubt that the prayer being uttered results in a renewed desire in our lives to persevere, to keep going. And yes, the days may be tough, and yes, the trials of life may be real, and yes, even the reality of dying before he comes awaits so many of us. But he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so the desire of our hearts is that the Lord would come and the renewed focus and emphasis that it produces in our lives is that we keep going, we never give up, we persevere to the end because we have hope. It's all produced because of His grace. Grace to wait. Grace to live right. Grace to die right. But it's all found as we come and pray according to His will. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So you're here this morning and you're knowing what it is to be buffeted on every side by trial and trouble. You know what it is to have anxious days ahead of you. You know what it is to have the storms of life behind you. You know what it is to be discouraged and down in your spirit and in your heart. Hold on to the hope that He's coming again. A veil of His grace that allows us to wait for His coming again. And enter into the secret place. The place of shelter, calm, and repose. 
Father, we pray that thou would help us all truly with expectant hearts to await thy return. We fail so often when faced with life's challenges. And all our feelings are prayer feelings. Because we don't dwell. Because we've never, Lord, learned how to abide. Help us, Lord. Help us, even in our own belief. Help us to avail of that which is ours, promised to us through Christ. And may we see that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ played out in our lives over and over again. The cry of our hearts is, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We long to be with thee. We long to dwell in that place that thou hast prepared for us who love thee. But, O oh Lord, we need grace for today. We need strength for tomorrow. We need hope for the year ahead. Help us to enter in. In Jesus' name, amen. We close this morning with the words of take time to be holy. And after the first verse, if you're not remaining for the Lord's table, please feel free to leave at that stage. And God bless you as you go.